And um, why, why in the fuck hell is Twitter now called X? Because it's cooler, man. X. It sounds like a, like a bad like movie. A, like a cologne? Or like a porn movie. I don't know. Like a porn, yeah. Like I thought I downloaded a new app on my phone. I was like, what the fuck is this? You're like, what's this, dude? Oh, man, I didn't mean to download that porn app. Oh. You, log, you log in and it's the same Twitter with, you know, lots of sports news and naked chicks and things like that. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, that not tell you who I follow or anything. But, uh, <laughs> but um, and then, but it's called X and like, you can't even, can't even call them tweets anymore. I don't know. I really. Yeah, that's weird. What do you call it now? I don't get it, man. It's like, why change it? It'd been known for Twitter for years. It's like, it's like even Facebook was smart enough when they very briefly for a moment considered calling it meta instead of and changing it from Facebook. They realized very quickly that was not going to be a good idea, even though yeah. it's owned by meta. The company's name is meta, but they realized changing the actual product's name was not a good idea. Um, and I wonder if this will go back to being called Twitter. Maybe it's just like a publicity thing. And like, oh, we're just joking. It's really called Twitter. Yeah, maybe it was like a, a you know a marketing ad for you know maybe something else because they they put a big X up and now it's like down. So it's Is like it? yeah you know, yeah yeah someone took a picture of a, a crane or skyscraper or a little uh, scaffolding up there where they were taking it down. Um, so it's like you know was it just a you know, stunt, you know, <laughs> I don't want to go change our website and have to change the logo and all that. That's a lot of work. I mean, it I is Twitter bird there already. You know, it's like, uh, um, you know, I guess when you're a baz- bazillionaire, like Elon Musk is, you can do weird things and people don't question you. They're just like, Oh, he's rich. He's weird. Yeah. I mean, he bought it. I mean, if he wants to, you know, fold it up into a swan and, you know, call it, you know, poopery you know i guess he can do it you know yeah yeah you know i don't completely quite like like i i'll look at twitter for news and stuff and you know we'll we'll put the shows on there on our twitter at rebel radio pod and uh, yeah but i don't really quite i guess you have to be witty to be like a true twitter user that's what i get out of it like you have to have like you have to create good tweets and content and be kind of witty for people to really care about yeah and um, that's not me. <laughs> it like, takes uh, it takes a style, you know. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, and uh, so I guess I don't quite fit into that crowd of Twitter people. You know? Yeah, I think it's more of a millennial thing. You know, they they tend to uh, get it a little bit more. I think so. I I still hardly use it, but you know, I I do see some some cool stuff on there every once in a while. It's great for uh, porn. Yeah, great for porn. What? Great for the, yeah, you know, Unknown. food porn, food porn. That's right. Yeah. On that, on that note, this is the uh, Rebel Radio <laughs> Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, um, you know, and um, it is uh, still deep in the heart of Texas, hotter than fucking balls. I mean, good Lord. You know, and people go, how do you live down in Texas? And, you know, we always give the excuse, oh, you know, you get used to it. Man, I don't know, dude. This is, I mean, I'm not one to normally complain. I just accept the fact I live in Texas. Yeah. God, dang. This really, truly is some of the hottest fucking weather we've ever had. It is For real. You can't go outside without everything just sweating. Your body droops down and you're just like this. You know. Man, I've, I've never seen, had so many people that I know from work, um, like, miss work because of, like, heat-related illnesses. 
and, and it's like not taking care of themselves and being pussies. But that's all another thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not drinking enough water. It's like that's that shit will expose itself real quick. Um, yeah. You know, if you ain't drinking enough water, especially in this heat. I mean, I was just outside. You know, putting securing the uh, uh, the truck bed that I was you know utilizing today, and I was like, you know, just operating some ratchet straps so it wasn't like doing any hard work i'm like fucking melting out there you're down well you're down near the coast man we are we we record most of our episodes remotely um but our normal remote is 10 minutes apart from where we live but matt yeah matt's about five hours away near the the south coast of texas that's the dedication we bring to you that's right go on no matter what doesn't matter what zip code or area of texas we're in we're gonna bring it to you. That's right, and um, yeah, I mean, we we do we do rip it, man. We just go go go. I mean, every now and then we've had a few times where you know someone's been sick and we like well, or, or technical difficulties. Like, well, no show this week, but man, I think we've only taken one week off this year, and that was at New Year's. Yeah, and we yeah, might New Year's make it that far again and just go all the way to the end and take New Year's off like we normally do, and uh, we'll see. Because right now that's the plan. We I'm was making a list today, planning out movies almost for the rest of the year. I mean, I definitely had the last three weeks of the year kind of planned out. Um, yeah. We'll do our annual, annual Christmas Batman film of some sort, and we will finish off the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And uh, and there's a, a couple other things in there. It'll be nice, fun surprise movies. And our annual Halloween Horrors Month is coming up here real soon. And uh, we got Matt's birthday pick next week. But this week is my birthday pick of the month. My birthday is... Uh, this coming Tuesday, you guys will have this show in your ears by then. And uh, so this was uh, my annual birthday pick this week, and uh, it's a good one, man. And I'm looking forward to talking about it, it here. It is, man. I, I actually, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about it too. Yeah. I don't um don't want to talk too much about my birthday because you know, you know, as you get older, birthdays aren't as much fun, man. You're like, you start feeling like you have less of them in front of you than you do more of them in front of you as you get older. Yeah, yeah, yeah as you get older, you're like, oh, That's man, I'm morbid. going the wrong way. <laughs> That's the morbid truth, man. And, yeah. Uh, it's just like, fuck, man. I mean, in uh, a couple of years, man, we'll be, uh, well, you know, I hope you fellas throw me a 50th birthday in a couple of years. You know, I mean, Got to. You know, I'm not saying like I'm expecting it, but I'd, I'd appreciate it. We had a. We had a fucking big shindig for my 40th back a few years ago. Remember that? We did, man. We had a nice one. Yeah, so 50, man. And that seems like just yesterday we did that, man. And now we'll have 50 coming up. But you know what the thing is now, though, in a couple years when I turn 50, man, we'll have to have it at my brother's house again like we did my 40th. The only difference is this time he has a pool. Oh, yeah, dude. You're going to have to. People are going to have to bring it. Girls in bikinis. That's right. We're gonna, and, yeah, we're going to invite the whole block, boats and hoes, baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's a good times roll. That's right. Man, <clears throat> man, my, uh, man my, my voice is low. Man, I've had a hell of a week, man. With fucking, we had inventory at work and a stupid meeting at work. Well, I should say stupid. Actually, of all the meetings I've been to for my company, this one was actually pretty entertaining and pretty good. I can okay. They, they did a good job of it. Um, and they fed us well. That's always a sign. It's a good meeting when they feed you good. You know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, they have to. It's Especially if they're like, you know, disrupting your day, your normal yeah, flow man. of events, you know. They, they grilled burgers, and these weren't just like microwave heated. They actually took the time to grill them. And oh, wow. Chips, chips and cookies and soda we wanted, so it was it was good, man. Well, that's neat. And uh, But, uh, 
and now I, I start vacation today. So, you know, I'm off the next nine days. And don't have to worry about work, just uh, some podcasting and hopefully watch some movies. And and we'll, uh, we'll go hang out Wednesday and celebrate me getting a year older the day after my birthday. But that's okay. That's just when we're all available. So, yeah, it'll be good. Um, but, man, you're, um, how's your week been? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, had a long drive out here. Um, it wasn't bad though. Uh, there's a lot of like 75 mile an hour, uh, speed limit zones out here over here. And I was like, really 75. I'm like, okay. You know, probably, I don't think I've been out to Corpus since I was, man, I had to be young. It might've been Michael or Michael's age, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, been a while maybe, for me, I too. I have been out there once in Scouts when I was like 16, 17, but it's been some years. Yeah, my, we used to go uh, out here for our annual uh, spring trip um, for a uh, band, and we'd go uh, compete out here uh, whenever I was in high school. And so uh, I haven't been out here since, uh, since 2005. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember, here's what I remember from the last time I was there. Um, very dirty beaches. I mean, that's just what I remember. And uh, people say Galveston's dirty. I remember going to Corpus and thinking, "Wow, this is disgusting." Wow. I know. I know they have the famous South Padre Island that's supposedly cleaner and all that, but the actual beaches when I went to Corpus back years ago just were being really filthy. Wow. Um, and I don't know if it's still like that, but you know, we're we're gonna we're going to uh, the Rockport Beach. Um, so I, I that's supposed to be one of like uh, one of the clean. I think it makes the top 10 cleanest beach list in, in uh, Texas. But, you know, that's not saying a ton, right. um, you know, because, you know, our, our, you know, our, our, cur- our grading curve is, uh, is skewed. So Be it's careful of uh, the jellyfish overpopulation. Yeah. It's been bad in Galveston, but it's even worked down south, worse down south, because that's how the water flows. It all goes down that way. Yeah, I, and this this year, whenever I was in Galveston, uh, about a month or so ago, there we we saw more jellyfish than we've seen in a long time. Yeah. So it's uh, that's worth noting. Uh, Got to watch out for those jellyfish. Yeah, I'm supposed to go to Galveston sometime in September, and I'm thinking like uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in the water. I'm just like, yeah, I don't do the jellyfish thing. Yeah, man, it's it definitely ruins your day whenever you got to figure out if you need someone to pee on you or not. You know, it's like uh, unless you're into that, you know, some people are into that. You know, teach their own, man. <laughs> but it definitely uh, can throw a throw a wrench into your your day. Don't talk about my kinks like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of pee. Gross. Yeah, funny that be the, the shit on me, baby. It'll it'll no. <laughs> it'll be the second uh, talk about P today, or the, fir- the the first of two talks about P, because this movie has uh, a P scene in it where they talk about it. You have to refresh me when we get to that. I yeah, yeah. But um, man, uh, dude, I man, I have to um, I have to disagree with you on Transformers: Rise of the Beast, man. I yeah, I, yeah. I, I found it pretty entertaining. That's I watched that this week and. Uh, you know, it's fine, man. It, my, I think my biggest beef with it is uh, it's supposed to be a sequel to Bumblebee, but it doesn't feel connected to Bumblebee. Yeah, you know, feels it's, pretty disconnected. Yeah, it's like, you know, why didn't they bring Haley Steinfeld back? Uh, have Optimus show up on Earth and meet up with Bumblebee like, yo, what's up, man? Hey, man, I'm Optimus. You know, yeah, I've been taking care of this girl. She's hot, you know, whatever. You know? Yeah. And just fucking connect the movie somehow. 
you know, instead you jump, you know, seven, eight years later into 1994 and it's like, there's no connection to Bumblebee. And I think that was probably my biggest beef with it. Um, but once the movie gets rolling, I thought it was badass to see the, the primals, Optimus primal and, uh, the maximals. Sorry. I don't know why I call them the primals. And I thought, oh, that was really cool. I mean, the story is almost exactly the same as the first Transformers movie. You have this all-powerful spark thing that Megatron wants. In this case, it's Unicron who wants it so that he can transport through portals and eat all the planets and be yep. an almighty powerful being. Um, so, you know, there were some nitpicky things like that. The story was the same and stuff we've seen before. But, you know, it wasn't as good as Bumblebee, but it was still better than some of the other, the Age of Extinction and some of those Transformers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it ain't the worst Transformers movie. It had some decent fights in it and stuff. And, uh, I mean, you know, it didn't cost me nothing to watch it. I'm paying for Paramount Plus anyway, so, you know, I watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like the design they used for Optimus Prime, kind of a blend between Generation 1 and the newer stuff. I thought it was cool. It looked cool on screen. Um, You know, seeing RC on screen was cool. And uh, I did like, as a Transformers fan, there's a ton of nods to the original lore, like especially Unicron. They even used his same music from the animated movie. Briefly oh wow! Um, so there are a lot of cool nods. Uh, the into his um, what's his name uh, from Into the Heights getting the exosuit. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Like Daniel in the comment in the anime movie. So lots of cool new uh, nods to that. Which uh, there's some stuff as a Transformers fan I appreciate. Uh, I just um, man, I just wish it would have connected more as a sequel to Bumblebee because I thought that was the whole point in making Bumblebee was to reboot the franchise and. And now you have this second follow-up that just well, isn't connected. And now it's going for, for shared universe stuff, you know? Right. So I, I guess it's I trying thought, to be in that I mean, same vein. That had been rumored for a while, and I thought that was cool. But, like, it would have been cooler and connected better if you had either The Rock or Chaining Tandem show up. Yeah. And say, you know, at least thinking it's someone recognizable from the films. You know, um, so I felt that was a missed opportunity. I mean, Channing Tatum ain't done nothing but make a dog movie the last couple of years. You can't call him up and say, hey, man, you want to make a cameo? You know, The Rock would yeah. have done it, you know? He, oh, your Rock would have done it for sure. The Rock will do any fucking thing for money, you know? Um, and, and I felt like that's cool that they're going to make a Transformers G.I. Joe movie. I think it's a badass idea if it's done right. But I just felt the tease at the end was cool, but yet could have been cooler to have someone from the G.I. Joe movies make a cameo. Um, that are already in the universe, uh, but it's a cool idea, and it could work if it's done correctly. I mean, yeah, we'll do it Nick Fury style. We're putting together a team. I mean, those two—they've been synonymous <laughs> with each other since the '80s. Transformers and GI Joe. Everyone knows this. So, yeah, know, so I think that's a cool idea. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see if it happens. The movie, um, unfortunately, is not wasn't real successful at the box office. So, uh, how much does Paramount want to keep pumping into these movies, and how much money they want to spend is the big question. Um, I think in order to do G.I. Joe and Transformers, you're going to have to go get a uh, solid name director and uh, maybe a solid star behind it. You know, um, will the yeah. Rock or Chaining Tannen be able to come back? And, well, do they want to come back and do another one? Because um, obviously this would take place before those movies. I know Chaining Tannen's character, die, he dies with the second one. You know, yeah, second one. And, uh, so, you know, you could bring him back, uh, bring back Dennis Quaid as Duke or something. Who knows? Um, and uh, tie him together. You know, but we'll see. Dennis Quaid. And, uh, but, you know, uh, is what it Sorry. is. Sorry. 
Don't choke on your knob over there, man. <laughs> but, Had to cough. Um, that's really the only new thing I watched this week, man. I haven't uh, haven't really had time. To, I I wanted I want to try to watch Guardians three now. It's on Disney Plus since I missed half of it. I saw that. I got the uh, the notification for that. While I'm on vacation, I will. I did watch the Flash again since you have it on your account, and uh, yeah, and, you know, the second time watching it, I still like it. Um, but like, I do notice the second time watching it that Young Barry he's a little annoying, a little bit. Like, it didn't bother me the first feeling because I was so enga- in, engaged in the film that I didn't let it bother me. The second time watching it, like, my God, would he shut up? You know? Especially yeah. When he gets, especially when he gets his powers and he's making that weird laugh he does. Uh, he sounds like he's fucking shitting himself or something. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> sounds that like he's shitting himself. That part's a little annoying. But overall, man, I love the Keaton stuff, man. I love the overall feel of the film and uh, Supergirl's badass. We did a whole episode on it, so I'm not going to go on too much. But uh, yeah, I just feel like, man, if you're Michael Keaton, man, and you're like, you know, you sit here, you're discussing these things with Warner Brothers, and and Keaton is at a place in his career where he doesn't have to do anything, right? But he's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do Batman. This sounds like a cool idea. The fans want it. I'm going to do this for the fans. And and Keaton said that, hey, I did it for the fans. They wanted me to come back. Okay, three movies. Okay, I'll do Flash. Uh, yeah, I'll do. Man, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll do make a cameo in Aquaman. Oh, you want me to make a cameo in Batgirl? Okay, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Then, may, then maybe we'll do a Batman Beyond movie in a couple of years. Yeah, I'm down. Keaton's all in, right? I I feel like I don't want to make James Gunn the bad guy, but I can't help but think that James Gunn and Peter Safran have come in and tried kind of shit on Keaton's Batman comeback. They they yeah. you know they they allowed the flash to happen because the film was done. But then they scrapped Batgirl, which I think we all know now that wasn't a Warner Brothers decision to save money. We James Gunn then came in and said Let's scrap this film. And yeah, the movie was friggin' made. From what I've read about it, it probably was for the better. It seemed really generic, like really like Firefly steals some stuff. Batgirl has to stop him. It felt really. Uh, um, the the Keaton was basically a couple of cameos. It wasn't even as big of a part as the Flash. So maybe it was for the better. And then the Aquaman was just going to be a cameo. But mm-hmm. man, uh, uh, if you're Keaton, you have to. I mean, I, Michael Keaton's. Not that he's upset about not making money because the guy's made a ton of money, but yeah, I'd be a little disappointed, you know, that this happened, you know, because they kind of just shit canned all over his Batman comeback, you know. Yeah, man, it, it's it was nice seeing Keaton again. I wish we could see more of him, but I just you know doesn't look good. Yeah, and uh, and I love his scenes in the Flash, and you know, people said um, they they played that Keaton played him differently, and then I saw a comparison video like on YouTube and. If you watch Keaton, man, he plays him exactly the same. His mannerisms, his face, everything. It's like he, he looked the same. Any, yeah, he didn't play him any different, you know. Um, but it was cool, man. I, I, you know, it's really, it was really cool to get to see him kick a lot of ass in the flash. Uh, people just say stuff to try and create buzz and, yeah. you know, get those clicks, those subscriptions, and, and it's I tell you, yeah, it was the same old Keaton. I'll tell you another thing too: the CGI. I know a lot's been said about it and how it mm-hmm. could be better. I didn't feel it looked as bad on television. I yeah. It's it was a little uh, smoother. Yeah. A little smoother. You know, maybe it just, maybe it wasn't meant to be blown up to, you know, 300 feet on the big screen. Yeah. A little smoother on TV, but uh, that's really all I watched this week, man. I know you, I know you made it to the movies a movie that I plan on hopefully going to see possibly tomorrow. Um, you know, so by next episode, I'll have my review of it. Uh, yeah. I definitely will see it. I just don't know if I'm going to go see it tomorrow. I'm going to go see it Monday. 
Yeah, I, you know, my my five year old, he wanted a a little outing with just me and him, and he wanted to see turtles, and so we took him to go see uh, Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem, and the you know it's animated in the same vein as Into the Spider Verse. It's just not as clean. It's a little goes for the more grittier look, um, kind of like a mix of this you know new school um, type of animation that's you know been you know awesome as of late and i guess some of that grittiness of the uh you know comics that it's it's born from um i will say it doesn't stay true to its source material um that's probably the only thing that i've already read some yeah. old school digital fans complaining about that that's the only thing that irked me because it's like you know as as a fan of that you're going in and you're just like what you know and i'm like you know like if uh uh, what you call it? Oh, I don't want to make any comparisons, and and you know I know we'll talk about it more next week. Uh, you know because I, I don't want to spoil anything, you know, and give away any uh any part of the movie by making a uh, an analogy. But uh, I, if you just look at it as a you know a variation of the story, which is what it is, I mean, it's it's fairly entertaining, you know. Um, and that's you know saying it with me having some reserves about that. Um, I think you know it's uh, it's gotten a lot of a lot of praise. I don't think it's worth the ninety five percent tomato meter score. I think it's closer to like a B B plus. Um, but I do like that you've got all the you know freaking you know mutants in it, uh, as you can see from the trailer. You know it's and. I think uh, having having Superfly uh, in there, you know, just some of these characters you you used to fight in the Ninja Turtles arcade game um, was pretty cool. Uh, so seeing seeing that stuff, uh, you know, all in one movie, um, even in you know, even though it wasn't you know true to source material, it was still entertaining to me, and I still enjoyed it. And you know, your kids are going to enjoy it, uh, and you know if. If nothing else, if it just brings turtles back into the theaters and we get more of it, you know, I think that's worth it. That's kind of how I felt like, you know, I, when I first saw the trailers, I was like, oh, from Seth Rogen. I'm like, ah, I don't know. This doesn't call that great. But then then I was like, you know, read some reviews and things like that. And and uh, and, and that was that was the other part. I got me like, you know, it's Ninja Turtles. I have to see this. I Man, I grew up with this. You know, it's like I got to go watch it. Yeah, and that, that's kind of it's, it's become a nostalgic thing for me now that it did. If it had gotten trash reviews, I probably would stay away from it. But since it's gotten good enough reviews, I'm like, you know, I think it's worth seeing. Yeah, some people tried to say that they were too goofy. And I, I definitely feel like the goofiness is turned up a notch. Um, and and it, I feel like it's excused because this is like, you know, early teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This isn't like older teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, and even in TMNT two secret of the U's, they're still, they're still goofy. Even Leonardo, who's supposed to be the leader, um, you know, the more serious one, you know, he's, he's kind of goofy, you know, in, in TMNT two. So, uh, you know, in this one, I feel like they all act closer to like what Michelangelo, uh, acts like the most, but Michelangelo s- still sets himself apart in the movie. I feel like, um, but, you know, overall, I think it's entertaining, man. You know, you go there, um, especially if you went there on on the fan uh, the fan event and got the the poster and the uh, and the comic book full of just Ninja Turtle uh, comic book covers. That was really cool. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, man, go see it. I, I, I think if you've got some reserves about it, um, you know, you can have those reserves. Um, but you know, don't, you know, exclude your kids from experiencing Ninja Turtles like you did, you know, and if you want to explain, Hey, you know, these are the, these are the original films, you know, that use, use this as a gateway drug, show them the original stuff. And that way he sees all of it, you know, don't, don't, my, my eight year old, my eight-year-old doesn't like the Megan Fox ones. He says the turtles look too creepy. Yeah, they do kind of look, you know, odd. I mean, yeah. But I mean, the first one's good. Yeah, and well, the second one's got Megan in a girl's horror outfit. So, I mean, it's, 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 this is true. They they went all the way on on April O'Neil. You know, they they definitely put all their chips in that in that bag. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. Hubba hubba. Hubba hubba. But uh, that's that's really about it for me. I, I did rewatch The Flash as well, um, and we did a whole episode on that. But you know, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, you know, and CGI definitely better on the second run. Um, that's really all I've I've touched on this week. Um, well, that's cool, man. We're gonna uh, we're gonna stay within DC and Turtles for a moment in the news. Uh, so along with the movie being released this week, Nickelodeon came out and announced that uh, they're working on a new Turtles animated series for Paramount+. Plus. It's going to tie directly in with the uh, new film. As okay. Well, as well as a sequel to the movie already. And there's been some confusion about this because it read like, are the, is the sequel going to be like a Paramount Plus release or is it going to be theatrical? And uh, Paramount didn't really say. I think it all depends on how well the movie does theatrically. And it's tracking for about a $30 million opening, so not bad for an animated film. Um so they plan on uh, continuing this new Mutant Mayhem Turtles universe they've created with a new TV show and, uh, and more movies. So I think that's a that's a good thing. Give me more ner- turtles. Yeah, more but turtles. I, I still one day would love to see an animated film in the style of the original comic books. You know, where they're dark and gritty and a little more adult. And, uh, we got a tease of it with that Turtles Forever movie, but I would love to see an actual uh, film like that one day. And uh, one, so Wonder Woman three is it happening? Is it not? You know, Gal Gadot gave an interview on a um, for something she was doing, and she says that yeah, we're developing Wonder Woman three. I'm developing it with James Gunn, and we're talking about it because James Gunn is not directly said. And then um, you know, there's some speculation: is Gal Gadot just talking out of her nose, or is she not? Um, but here's my thing: I don't see a reason why Gal Gadot would not be telling the truth. Yeah. Here's what I believe is they had a conversation with James Gunn and James is interested in continuing Wonder Woman with her in it. Um, Cause James Gunn has always maintained that yes, this is a reboot of the DC universe, but we're not ruling out some of these characters continuing on because he knows how popular she was and mm-hmm. things like that. So I think it's possible that in her mind they're developing it, but it could have just been a casual conversation. Um, I hope she comes back. Uh, you know, maybe Patty Jenkins will come back too, or maybe she shouldn't come back after the way Wonder Woman 84 turned out. <laughs> yeah. Um, hard to, hard to make that call. So, uh, so, you know, I, I, I really like her in the role, um, you know, and I, I uh, hope she does, is able to come back from work because I think she's perfect. Same here, man. I, I think, you know, at first there's some people that, that had their reserves, but you know, she showed that, you know, she's a good Wonder Woman and, 
you know, she's, you know, as ever bit iconic in the role as, as Kabil was. And I think the uproar, um, you know, backlash, you know, with, with her not being in it could be the same, um, as, as it is with Kabil, you know, having that, you know, that just bummer, you know, I don't know. I don't know how I would explain it. Just like, you know, like someone took a shit in your cereal or something, you know, you're just like, man, this, this sucks. I wanted to see this person in in a few more of those movies. Uh, She's definitely one of those, one of those characters. Yeah. And she's smoking hot. Yeah. Um, Speaking of smoking hot, um, word has it that Vanessa Kirby is uh, circling playing uh, Sue Storm in Fantastic Four. Really? Um, You know, I don't understand how these strikes work. I guess they can't work on films. They can't write movies, but yet, they're still allowed to read scripts and, and be cast. Like they can do casting. I guess casting is still going on. Um, apparently casting calls have been going on for fantastic four, even though, uh, you know, it looks like Adam driver is not going to be Reed Richards, which strangely I'm okay with that. I never, I like Adam driver, but I just didn't see him as Reed Richards. I would still hope that John Krasinski can come back around and play him. Um, but I can see Vanessa Kirby. As Sue Storm, you know, she definitely knows yeah. how to kick ass. We saw that in the Mission Impossible films. Um, you know, I think she'd be a good pick for the role, you know. And I think that's a I think that's a good pick for sure. And and she was also in uh Hobbs and Shaw in more of an action role. Yeah. And I know, you know, that movie is what it is, but you know, I feel like uh, you know, it was a little bit more of an action role for her versus like the other roles that I've seen her in, and she did she did great. Yeah. I can see her a Sue Storm. Um, so, sticking with Sony, um, they uh, pushed back a bunch of films due to the strike. It looks like Craven the Hunter may not come out until next year. Venom 3 is going to come out next summer. And along with that is Beyond the Spider-Verse has been taken off the schedule until they know, which really sucks. Yeah. Um, so we don't know when we'll get to see the, the finale of Miles Morales' trilogy. You um, jinxed us, man. But, uh, I blame you. <laughs> I didn't. But, uh, but in the meantime, on September 5th, you can watch Across the Spider-Verse on digital and Blu-ray as it has a release date. Um, that's definitely a, a must-buy film for my collection. September 5th? Yeah. Man, I thought it was going to release uh, earlier. Because no. they, uh, they, uh, they charged me for my, pre, uh, my pre-order, and then it appeared in my library. And then I, I went to go, uh, you know, I went to go, you know, stream it. And then it goes, oh, uh, you know, available soon. I'm like, what's soon? It could be one of those things where they have an early digital release, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. I, saw, I read September 5th as a release date, but maybe they'll do an early digital release. But uh, We'll see. So it's been teasing me. Across the Spireverse very soon. Um, that's it. That's all I got for news. Um, I've, I have one. Uh, Paul Rubens died, man. Oh man, dude, you're right. I completely forgot to write that down, and I apologize to it's the okay. fans of the world. Uh, yeah, man. I guess you know um, it's become a thing. I don't. I, that sounds wrong, but some of these celebrities that are in the in the world, you know, over the last few years, have decided to fight their battles with their illnesses privately. Okay. Yeah. So I don't. I don't want to say that's a thing. That's a respect. That's what they want. And Paul Rubens has followed suit with that. You know, he did not tell the world or anything that he had cancer. And uh, so he spent his last few years quietly in his own, uh, his own, with his family and his friends. And uh, 
spent out the last days of his life in private, and uh, and we lost him this week to uh, the horrible disease that so many of us uh, have to face uh, people that we know in our life with, you know, and uh, and this was a guy that um, you know just wanted to make children laugh and people laugh, man. That's all. That's yeah. all he ever wanted to do. He was almost like a. The goofy version of Mr. Rogers, if that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, probably a fair fair comparison. And, uh, you know, he had his – everyone knows about the famous incident with the law where he got in trouble doing something outside he shouldn't have done. But, you know, to me that was a very small blip on a man that brought so much joy to, to boys and girls of the world, you know, um, and a very, very small blip on an amazing career and things he did because he took this offbeat TV show called The Pee Wee Herman Show that – gained traction and then he turned it into peewee's playhouse that gained even more traction yeah in a, in a world in which he was fighting against you know sesame street and saturday morning cartoons and things like that and he took this offbeat humor show and turned it into a massively successful television show that was followed by people around the world and yeah. and uh, it was a risk and but people believed him. he believed in himself and he did it uh, and a couple yeah, man. Of successful films tim burton tim burton when he met Pee Wee, he was like, wasn't sure. He's like, I don't know, man, this guy, I don't know if this is going to work. And, and Tim Burton's kind of weird himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For and Tim he, Burton to say that. <laughs> and even Tim was like, man, I, I don't know. But, but Tim sat down and talked with him and he saw his passion. He believed in him and they made you know, Pee Wee's big adventure. Tim Burton believed in it, you know, and, uh, and, and, and that's pretty cool, you know, and, and, and of course the rest they can say is history. The movie was a big success, uh, Big Top Pee Wee, not so much the big success because yeah. I think I read Big Top Pee Wee came out against something really popular, if I remember right. Oh. It was, wasn't as successful. Yeah, that's caused the downfall of a lot of, you know, decent films. Yeah. And then he made a brief comeback at a Netflix movie a couple years ago, the Pee Wee Holiday movie, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was, uh, I heard was pretty decent, you know. Um, but man, you know, Paul Room is just a, just, just a good one. I know you were a big Pee Wee fan growing up too. <laughs> Yeah, I still have a, a Pee Wee Herman doll, not complete. I think I'm missing his jacket, and I've got a Pee Wee kite, and I think I have, I think I have uh, a few small action figures in the attic, maybe. But I had, a, I had everything. Um, you know, of course, that's how it is. You don't know what kind of value you've got until, you know, the person passes away, and everything goes up to like four hundred dollars on eBay. Um, but I had all of his toys. I was I was obsessed. Uh, you know, my aunt would call and I'd answer the phone. It's Pee Wee Herman. Ah, ah. What? <laughs> Surprise me with you. <laughs> <One bit. laughs> be like, uh, hello, hello. Is anyone there? Ah, you saw the magic word. Ah, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I man, there you are. But what am I? Became yeah. his show. And now you are, what am I? Did <laughs> that he just keep going back and forth? He did it on the with the Rock whenever he was on WWE. Uh, he did it on uh, uh, on a couple other shows. I think it was on like Brooklyn Nine Nine or something like that. Yeah. I mean, fucking Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne got his start on his show. yes, Cowboy yeah. Kurt. He was so skinny back then. It's so awesome, man. When you think about it, freaking Morpheus, man. Hmm. And then I, I like whenever they uh, the uh, Dark Knight Rises uh, came out, and Jimmy Kimmel replaced all of the characters with like Pee Wee Herman, and had had him do like Pee Wee Herman impersonations for every part of the the cameo. It was pretty funny. Um, but man, you know he was he was a good comedian, uh, and he was very entertaining. And 
you know, his, his bit, his whole bit was just, uh, was just top notch, man. And it's, it's almost, I I, I almost want to say it's timeless because I feel like, you know, I did watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure this past week. I bought it because, you know, of course it went on sale for $5.99. So why not just, just own it. And, uh, you know, upon rewatching it years later, it found it still entertaining. Yeah, look, they're not. They're, his movies aren't streaming anywhere. You would think Netflix would have them, considering they have his new movie, but they don't have the originals. Yeah, and only the Pee Wee Herman show is streaming on HBO Max, but not Big Top or not Pee Wee's Playhouse. But uh, is Pee Wee's Playhouse was it Nickelodeon? Maybe they own it. I don't remember who Nickelodeon was. may own it. I, I was wondering who. I can't remember who aired it back in the day. Um, but yeah, but uh, man, definitely one of the great ones. Uh, you know, but he left. Uh, a legacy man for sure, you know, and to entertain children for years to come, um, you know, and, uh, just, uh, just say, uh, an awkward, awkwardly funny person, but, but funny, you, you know, he's one yeah. of you, when you first watch him, you're not sure how to take his humor, but once you get used to it, you're like, okay, you know, um, you're like, all right, I can dig this. <laughs> he did his thing, man. And, uh, and I'm glad you remembered. I can't believe I did not write that down because um, I, I had it in the back of my mind too, and I just forgot to write it down the news. <laughs> All good, man. That's why I'm here. So I'm here to catch the rebound, baby. Catch the rebound. All right. So, um, man, th- this movie I picked today is uh, from my my favorite director of all time, John Woo, and this was his uh, not his first film, but his first of his heroic bloodshed films. This is the movie that kind of created the genre. And uh, for me, I saw this after I had seen Hardball and the Killer. And uh, so, you know, I saw these two hardcore action films that are balls to the walls, shootouts and gunfights and everything. And then and you go back and you watch A Better Tomorrow, which is the film we're talking today. And, and uh, mm-hmm. it has its gunfights in it, but it's also a bit more pulled back, if that's fair to say, because it's very much a story about these two brothers and, uh, and the life they hope to have after um, some troubles they've been through. Um, Emotional tough guys. Since this is the first time you've ever seen this, I want you to give it a summary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like you said, you've got these two brothers, Ho and Kit. And, you know, Kit is, you know, graduating the, uh, the HK police Academy. Um, He's very good. He's a, he's a top student and he's getting noticed. Um, But, you know, his brother, who also carries a gun, as he reminds him whenever they're joking around. Uh, he carries a gun because he works for the Triad um, along with Mark. Uh, not you, but, you know, Chow Yun Fat. And, uh, you know, so uh, he's doing that, uh, even though his brother is, is a good guy. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it does get their dad in trouble um, because they don't want Ho to talk while he's in prison. Um, I, I guess, uh, you know, they send a, an enforcer to go, uh, make an example out of his dad. His dad ends up getting killed. Um, Jackie Kit's uh, girlfriend is, you know, serious girlfriend is, is beat up and, you know, Kit is bloodied as he, you know, tried his best to defend his father. Um, this obviously causes a rift between both of them. Well, back uh, up just a little bit. Remember, Ho goes to jail to protect Mark, who's a uh, middleman in the mob. Yes. So yeah, he, Ho, and that's why he's in jail. Right. So while Ho is in prison, Mark kind of steps in and says, well, I'm going to take over your role, dude. Yes. Yeah, he go, he steps in there and and, uh, and takes over where Ho left off. Um, while this happens, uh, you, you have Mark going in 
to take out this rival gang, which kind of caused Ho to get caught. You know, he went in there to do some some business dealings and he got a double cross, um, which double crosses happen a few times in this film. And uh, unfortunately, it's Mark kind of crippled a little bit. Um, he gets shot in the leg by someone who uh, he thought was dead. But damn it, you got to shoot him in the head next time, Mark. Uh, and, you know, he gets shot in the leg. And then you see him as kind of like this gimpy errand boy. Yep. Um, unfortunately, uh, Ho gets out of prison, um, gets into a little scuffle with his brother cause his brother just can't let the past die. Even though his father's dying, wish was to, to not hate his brother and to try and try and get along with his brother. Um, that didn't work, uh, because there's still some resentment there. Ho becomes a taxi cab driver and, uh, you know, that he, his, uh, his, Crap! I forget his. I always forget his name. The uh, person that took over, um, that oh, he, yeah, yeah. he, that he, really yeah, the old guy that's that's you know kind of took in. Uh, is trying to get him all together. Trying to get Mark right. in there. Trying to get Ho in there. And, trying to get Ho to come back in. Yeah. Yeah. Get the get some more drug money. Bring get Ho to go go for the old clients to bring them back. And Ho's like, I'm not not having any of it. You know, I, I went out. And he's like, you know, tries to throw, you know, Mark at him, saying, "I only kept Mark around for you." Um, and they they beat the shit out of Mark. Uh, they they destroy the the taxi um, company that he worked for. That you know, this guy takes in uh, ex convicts, and <laughs> it just uh, you know, it doesn't get any better. Um, the relationship between Kit and Ho as as Kit is denied a, a promotion and, you know, in, in Asian culture, it's like, if, uh, you know, if, if you're denied something like that, I mean, that's, that's a huge deal, especially in this era. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, that, that really, really just caused a bigger rift between them because here he is trying to do the right thing and he's getting held back because of his brother. Um, ultimately they're able to set up a meeting between Shin. That's it. That's Shin, Shin, um, or Shing. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a double cross there again, as they capture his brother, who's trying to go at it alone. Um, and you know, they've got, uh, they, they exchange Shin for, for his brother and then a scuffle ensues right as they're, they're passing each other at the end. And, uh, there's a big shootout, um, uh, Mark ends up dying and, uh, but Ho and, and Kit are able to rekindle. Um, their relationship as as brothers, as you know, Ho delivers the final blow um, to Shin and takes him out because Shin's like, I'm I'm just going to give myself up and I'll be back out in days with money, and you're going away for good. And he's like, not not if I can help it. And so um, it's it's definitely not like hard boiled. It's not like the killer, um, you know, as far as like the abundance of of action fil- action sequences um because you're developing this this tough guy uh this emotional tough guy aspect this tough guy with uh a pet with some skeletons in his closet um some unresolved differences and and you develop this emotional connection um with with these characters um and i feel like man you know chalian fat you know he just just very slickly became this uh this action hero whenever he he doesn't look 
really look like one, but he, man, he can definitely pull it off on the screen. And, uh, you know, every movie I see him with, with Wu is, uh, is great. And even though the pacing is, you know, not as fast paced as some of these other films, it's definitely a a good performance um, with all involved. And it definitely shows um, Wu's uh, stylistic differences with among, you know, the other uh, Hong Kong directors at the time. Well, he, um, you know, he wanted, he wanted, he cast Chow Yun Fat because he wanted someone like that who was not mm-hmm. known for playing action movies. He wanted a regular looking guy, and um, and and so we did that on purpose, and of course turned him into an international superstar with these these films because uh, we would not have or Chow Yun Fat had not had a lot of box office success before this. Um, and you're right, the film is only 96 minutes, but it feels. It has an epic feel to it for a 96-minute film. Yeah, it feels, feels longer. And it's because of the emotional development between the brothers and the other characters of the film. And uh, this is one of those movies that, like, after you watch The, the Killer and Hardboard first, and you go back and you watch this, and then you go back and watch The Hardboard and The Killer again, and you realize that John Woo has been doing this throughout his films, this emotional... He gives his action heroes and his action stars an emotional background that you don't always maybe notice because you're caught up in the action of the films. Yeah. Tomorrow lets that breathe better. And yeah, it can even be said about face off. There's a lot of emotion in face off of what Sean Archer faces having to go turn into caster Troy. And, um, and, and we saw it with, with uh, detective tequila in, in, in hardball. And we definitely yeah. saw it with, with Mickey mouse and the killer, you know, the, the emotional um, things he went through because it was all about him writing his wrong by blinding Jenny and saving her and the killer. And this, it's all about these two brothers and their reconciliation to have a better tomorrow. Cause that's what the film is about. Cause they just survival ultimately surviving this ordeal you're in so that we can have peace with each other. And at the end of this film and, um, and Wu and it shows on the screen and, and Wu took a little heat when this film came out for, um, you know what they said, homo eroticism back then. Yeah, glorifying the triad. And, yeah, uh, and glorifying the triads. You know, the Japanese weren't too happy when the film released and things. Uh, the film was so popular with young men that they were selling out trench coats and sunglasses everywhere. Because yeah, really that. <laughs> even movie, in the summer, they're wearing yeah. trench coats in the summer, trying to look like this guy. This movie was the highest-grossing film in the Hong Kong's box office for several years. Um, up until yeah. I, I, don't, I think 91, 92. So it held the record for like five or six years. As an, uh, so it was extremely popular. It put John Woo on the map as far as a director. And uh, he had done some films, like a couple of Kung Fu films and things before this, but nothing to this extent. It created a new genre that I think now, now that you have completed the um, so-called heroic genre trilogy of Hardball, The Cure and A Better Tomorrow, I think more than ever, you can see the influence he's had on American directors. From, Big time. From the two, Ma- yeah. Michael Bay to Quentin Tarantino himself to Chad Straczynski, or Straczynski, however you say it, that did the John Wick films. It's obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Pulp, I mean, Pulp Fiction is definitely taken a, a lot of inspiration uh, from Wu films, uh, especially when you see all, all three of those. Um, just, you know, the, the pan in on the gun. Um, the, uh, the up of, of the, the shooter's face, um, you know, and the, uh, the two guns that just happen to not run out of ammunition very often. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's all taken from, you know, Wu took it, 
took that from Western and uh, turned it into something else. And, uh, and Tarantino, you know, and, and some of these other directors have definitely borrowed from that. So, you know, he's definitely, uh, definitely made an impact over here in America. Yeah. Wu, Wu was a huge Clint Eastwood fan. He definitely watched Spaghetti Westerns. He's said it in interviews before. Yeah, I've watched a lot of Jim, John Wu stuff. Yeah. Uh, he, he wanted his action stars to look like Clint Eastwood. You know, so he said <laughs> that before. And, uh, you know, in, in his style and his approach to, to action cinema, at that point, you think about this, Matt, 1986, man. What was an American action star? It was Sylvester Sloan. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Be yeah. As, and, and I love those guys just like you. But it was be as big, as tough as you can and destroy the bad guys. You believe that these bad guys could be taken out all by one man. That's what American action stars were at that point until mm-hmm. Bruce, until a couple of years later when Bruce Willis came around with Die Hard and an action man started becoming an everyday cop. You know, that's about when it changed. If yeah. Heard, you know. Um, but, but Wu saw past that. He said, man, you know, he, he growing up in, uh, war torn countries and, and, and communism, the things that John Wu grew up with, he saw his heroes in a different light. You know, he saw chivalry and he saw policemen that could be heroes and, and he saw that people could be redeemed. And he based a lot of his stuff on that and, uh, that his heroes could be regular guys that could save someone and say, and they weren't over the top heroes. And that's what he saw in Chow Yun Fat and, uh, yeah. to, uh, you know, the other people, uh, and what's the guy he, Tony Lung, you know, and people like that, that he, oh, yeah, Tony Lung. Yeah. these guys that were just regular looking guys, they weren't overpowering, but you believe they could be your heroes. And, and that's why he cast these guys. And Wu brought us, obviously he's known for his slow motion and his, um, definitely, I mean, there's no doubt John Wu watched Sergio Leone film, seeing the, the looking at the eyes and, and the focus on the emotion of the character and things like that. And uh, it's all right there in front of you in these films. And uh, and his next movie he made after this, which I talked about a few months ago that I had never seen before until recently, Bullet in the Head. Bullet in the Head is stylistically very different from this movie, but mm-hmm. the but the aspects are there, the emotions of the characters and the things that these characters go through through in their journeys. Um and that's what I've always felt about Wu's early Hong Kong work. It's not they're, they're action films, but they're also journeys these characters go on. Whether it was Detective Tequila or Mark or or Kit or Ho in this film, you know, yeah. it's a it's a journey they go through to get to their point. You're going to follow that character, you know, through his development throughout the the whole film. Yeah, and he's uh, he's definitely got you know characters in there with an arc that's uh, that you can relate to in some way. Yeah. It's not just a MacGuffin. It's not just a it's just not Arnold Schwarzenegger going in and saving his daughter. I mean, yeah. I that's not important, but though American action films were so simplified at the time. Whether yeah. It's, whether it's snake Plissken going in and saving the president, they were really, there was no emotion to them. And you know, and you believe the entire time you knew that snake was going to save the day. You knew that, uh, John, um, what was his like? John Rambo matrix, John matrix yeah. or John Rambo. were going to save yeah. the day. You knew they were, well, Wu presented these films and like, was anyone safe? You didn't know. And, and you know, and he, and he does kill characters in his movies. Yeah. And, was, and, and he, and then, and for him to be doing that in 1986, 1988, 1989 was different than anything people were seeing in America. And when these films came over here, that's why they were so influential to a young guy sitting at home, like Michael Bay, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Chad Jasinski, and these young directors, man, that were watching this stuff and like, Man, I want to make fucking movies like this, you know? Hell yeah, and, uh, dude. And and out of all those guys, you know, obviously, Szynski's doing very well with the John, John Wick films. And, uh, 
you know, Tarantino's obviously had a successful career. Michael Bay's had a successful career. And they watched these young, this young, these John Woo films when they were young kids themselves. And there's no doubt that he's influenced Hollywood so much. I mean, you could almost argue Bruce Lee is obviously hugely influential to American culture and what he brought for martial arts. And, and if you really study film, John Woo's highly influential to what he's brought to young American directors. Yeah. I'm yeah. Just the, uh, you, you can you can tell, and sometimes it's hard to explain what a Wu film is until right. you watch it, and then you're like, you start seeing other films like you know, like Kill Bill, and you're like, man, this is like this this feels like a Wu film a little bit, mm. you know, and uh, you know maybe uh, I don't know Michael Bay. I wonder I wonder what Michael Bay films you would feel well, like I kind think, of resemble. I think like rock? stylistically, The Rock. Yes, yeah. definitely some of the shootouts. That's probably the closest thing he's ever done to, to a uh, influenced by John Woo type film. Yeah, yeah, that's fair probably fair. fair. Um, but you know, but yeah, I mean, and and not I mean, so much his other films like Wind Talkers, you know. Uh, but yeah, these these films, his early work, yeah, especially in Hong Kong when he had you know all of his creative, uh, you know, ideas, you know, a, able to you know, be used in an entire film versus like the, you know, being held back here in America. Well, I mean, face off is obviously as close as film to his, his Hong Kong counterparts. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, you see elements of a good wolf film in broken arrow. And you see elements of a good wolf film in hard target to be fair, you know, uh, stylistically hard target might be the closest to his Hong Kong films besides face off. You know, if you, you could almost argue that, and, and yeah. so much the fact that Tom Cruise seeked Wu out. He specifically wanted Wu to make Mission Impossible 2. Now, did Cruise know that Paramount was going to step in and cut the film and tell him you can't do all this? No. And it pissed Wu off to the point that he made one more film because he was under contract for Paramount and he made Paycheck, which was terrible. And he said, I'm done. You know, and he went back <laughs> to make films in Hong Kong and he went to make The Amazing Red Cliff, which is an incredible film. Um, you know, uh, and Redcliffe is completely different than anything else he's ever done either because it's a historical drama, but it's a really good film. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and you got to think, Paramount's got to think, man, like the Mission Possible series has been so successful since then. Like, why didn't we just let Wu do what he wanted? And, you know, maybe two would have been well received. And I like two for what it is, but it could have been better. Um, I would love to see the three hour work print that's apparently out there somewhere one day. That'd be amazing. Um, see the extra scenes and maybe some of the stuff that, you know, the studio deemed unnecessary gets to see more of, more of Wu's work. Yeah. But, and uh, apparently there's also a director's cut of paycheck out there. Also another film that the studio cut up, but, uh, but back to a better tomorrow, you know, this movie again was so highly successful that they did make a sequel to it. And Wu didn't really want to do a sequel. He's like, man, you know, the brothers redeemed themselves, you know, but he sat down with his producer, sweetheart, and he did it. They came up with an idea. And of course, Mark, uh, Chow Young Fat comes back as his twin brother. In the yeah. <laughs> and uh, the second one's okay. The shootout at the end is amazing. Um, but and it's not the terrible. fried rice. The fried yeah, rice the, scene. The fried yeah. rice scene's pretty funny. Um, the third one has nothing to even really do with the first and second ones. It's just a sequel by name. Um, but but the second one is worth watching. It's worth seeking out. It's still a, it's a good sequel. It's not great, but it's good. Um, there are people that prefer the second one to the first one. Um, and I think that's only because of the huge action shootout at the end. In fact, I would say the action shootout at the end of part two is probably one of Wu's, maybe one of Monk's best. I will give that movie that credit. It's a really fantastic shootout at the end of the movie. Okay. 
Um, but a, but a better tomorrow is such a solid film from for its ninety six minute runtime. Would I mean one thing I noticed about this film is and you talked about it a little bit earlier really good performances for a Hong Kong film for the nineteen eighties. You know, yes, like the, the actors really are really into their roles and really do their all. Um, you know, uh, very good practical effects, a lot of good gunplay in this with a with a low budget. And Wu was a master of that back then. He could turn in movies under budget, low budget. He he knew ways to make them. Uh, you know, and uh, and it, and it gave us Chow Yun Fat man, which uh, went on to highly successful career playing in the Killer and Hardboiled, and came to America to do some films and Bulletproof Monk. <laughs> man, uh, the re- hey, the Replacement Killers was kind of cool. Oh and, yeah, uh, Replacement Killers, yeah. Now that, what was the one he did with Mark Wahlberg? That wasn't that good. Uh, I can't Man, think of What did he do with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, it was another one of those action movies, just generic things. It wasn't that great. Yeah. And, uh, of course, he did. He was very well known for his performance, Anna and the King, with uh, Jodie Foster. He got a lot of recognition for that. Um, and then, you know, but, hey, you know, uh, him and Wu both didn't have as much success in America as they had uh, with their Hong Kong films. And, and now rumor is that Wu Wu is making a new film for America, and I've heard it's coming out later this year. It's uh, and you know it's a almost completely silent film. Uh, it's going to star Joel Kinnaman, of course, who played Rick Flag in Suicide Squad, and it's called Silent Night. Um, okay. And apparently, apparently Wu is making a new American film for the first time in uh, years. He's going to give it another try. Um, so I'm not sure the premise of Silent Night, but uh, apparently that's that's coming out later this year or early next year. So we'll see. I forget that he was in uh dragon ball evolution. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, good pick for Roshi, but yeah, you know, nobody talks about that movie. Yeah. I think the well, only- not in a positive way. <laughs> well, the only small, I'll give that movie one positive. I'll be nice. Piccolo looks kind of cool. That's Piccolo. Yeah. They actually yeah. made Piccolo looks kind of, he looked right in the movie. He looked, but the rest of it's, trash you know well you know originally real quick brief brief moment on that dragon ball evolution because we'll never cover on the show you know originally originally the script like if you watch the movie the script isn't terrible okay but the idea was to have big name stars in it with a big name budget you pull the script off big special effects it looks cool but the studio wasn't sure if Dragon Ball was that popular because at the time it really wasn't. It was popular to a certain, yeah, niche, a niche market. That's fair to say, right? Not yeah, right that's now. fair. If you if you were to make this movie in twenty twenty three, Dragon Ball would be huge, right? Oh but yeah, back, but back when they budget. did that live at, so the studio backed off the budget. They backed off hiring all the big actors and everything, and that's why you got what you got. Um, you know, the so, corruptor is that movie with Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, yeah. But uh, 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Even the audience score gave it a 57. So you know yeah, it's not that great. That great. <laughs> I mean, The Replacement Killers wasn't great either, but I still liked I remember liking it, you know. It was it was okay. Because I think The Replacement Killers was like his first big solo American film, if I remember right. And, uh, well, and then, and we're, man, we're not being fair to our boy Chow Yun. Come on, man. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He's yeah, Crouching cool. Tiger, Hidden Dragon, man. Uh, and that's a, great, that's a truly great movie. You know? But, uh, man, I am glad that uh, you watched A Better Tomorrow, and I'm glad I picked it for my birthday pick, because I've, I've always loved this film. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw this was on VHS. So that's how long ago I saw it. Wow. 
And, you know, and it's unfortunate that even now you cannot get this movie anywhere. It is available on iTunes, but it's uh, it's the 4K remaster that came out in Hong Kong last year. And okay. The, re- the remaster is fine. The movie looks good, but the subtitles are terrible on it. Um, there, there's a lot of broken English, just not good subtitles. Um, and it's a shame that they have not done a good job preserving some of these Asian cinema films and giving them proper releases in America. Um like bullet in the head. I had to bootleg. I have a bootleg copy of a better tomorrow. Uh, it's very difficult to find the killer and hardball. They are available on Blu-ray in America, but they're out of print. So you got to find them on eBay. Hopefully you can find good prices. But again, I know a website that you can get blue bootleg copies of the killer and hardball as well um, for like 10 bucks, you know, and uh, cause it, and it's unfortunate. And now with the advent of streaming, Physical copies of these movies may never exist again unless you get them through bootlegs. And it's unfortunate yeah. that these truly great films are getting lost in the streaming wars. And all you can do is hope that one day Netflix or whoever, whatever streaming service chooses to preserve these films and put them out on streaming for people to watch. The Killer was on Netflix for a while, and then it went off. And because, uh, you know, because uh, I mean, if you're an action movie fan and you've never seen the heart, you've never seen Hardboiled, you've never really seen an action. Movie. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to see Hardboiled. I mean, if if you don't watch any other Wu film, watch Hard Boiled. Yeah, I mean, it's my I mean, it's my number one action movie of all time. I mean, I've said that before. I love Hard Boiled, and uh, I like it Better Tomorrow a lot too for um, certain reasons. I just think it's a really good story about these two brothers and and a really good redemption story and uh, a well a well a well made film. Yeah. Oh, and uh, John Wu is uh, the inspector. Yes. He's he's Inspector Wu. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he used to do the Hitchcock thing with cameo in his films. He actually, yeah. remember, he, he plays the guy at the bar in Hardboiled. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He has a cameo in The Killer as well. And uh, I know, I'm pretty sure he cameoed in Bullet in the Head. You know, so yeah, John, that was John Wu's thing. But man, but uh, a maestro, one of my, like I said, my all time favorite director. And uh, I love it, man. I imagine one day we'll do Broken Arrow just for the hell of it because it's a fun movie. And, yeah, continue to cover some John Woo films, and uh, you know, maybe we'll do a better tomorrow part two, even one day. So, very nineties, very nineties. That uh, yeah, we probably won't do. We can't do a uh, better tomorrow part three though, because Woo wouldn't do it. No, it's directed by. That's when him and his producer friend Sweetheart had a falling out over tomorrow yeah. part three, because Woo was like, "No, I'm done," and Sweetheart's going to do it anyway. And to this day, almost thirty years later, him and Sweetheart don't talk very much. They wow. They um, had a falling out over that, you know, so it is what it is. It is what it is, man. It happens. Sometimes you're going to piss some people off. That's it. Got to piss some people off along the way. Um, all right. Well, uh, next week's film, um, we're going to start a series of uh, some some family-friendly, kid-friendly films. Uh, and in the middle of these three films, we're going to have a back-to-school special. We'll explain more on that later. That's going to be a lot of fun to do. We're going to kick off this kind of trilogy of animated uh, films. Um, yeah, they're all animated. And we're yeah. going to kick it off with a Studio Ghibli uh, modern classic. This uh, this was Hiyaki, uh, I'm always butcher's name, Miyazaki's follow-up to Spirited Away. This was the first film he did after uh, that. And uh, it's actually not an original screen. Well, it's an original screenplay, but it's actually adapted from a novel. Um, and it's a... I don't think it's as good as Spirit Away because Spirit Away, I think, is his masterpiece. But I think this is a really good film, too, um, with a lot of imagination and wonderful adventure in it that's come to, you know, from Miyazaki films. And that is Howl's Moving Castle. 
from master filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki, the director of the Academy Award-winning Spirited Away. That is ancient sorcery, and quite powerful too. This summer, experience the epic tale of a young woman transformed by a mysterious curse. No, that's really me, isn't it? An enchanted moving castle. This is a magic house. And the one wizard powerful enough to set her free. This charm will guarantee your safe return. Walt Disney Studios presents a Studio Ghibli production of a Hayao Miyazaki film. Hold on. This June, journey to amazing new worlds. Find me in the future! Aboard Howl's Moving Castle. This is another one of those movies from him that just, uh, you can't sit and watch it without just wondering how he comes up with these amazing concepts in his mind. Yeah. I mean, the guy is Walt Disney and George Lucas all combined into one. I mean, that's just, and that's the highest of honors we can give Miyazaki. Definitely. The, the stuff this guy creates in his mind and he envisions on screen. And, and, and you just, you, when you're watching his movies, it's like truly being, taken to another world and you get caught up into it. And before you know it, two hours go by and you're just, you went on a wonderful adventure and, uh, and we're going to, you know, we're going to talk. Good, about yeah. It. That's a good way of explaining it. I mean, it's uh, they're unique. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're a little weird sometimes. They're a little bit, yeah. but you get caught up into them because they're just the way he presents it. Like, so good. it works, man. And, uh, and just like, if you've never seen an action film till you see the John Woo film, if if you've only grown up with Disney, you've only seen half the picture, man. And you have to watch me as some Miyazaki films. I mean, they're just incredibly amazingly done. And the, the actors week, that he gets to do these parts, I mean, Mark Hamill, yeah. Christian Bale, Billy Crystal, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you, you Mark Hamill did like I think two or three films for for Miyazaki. Yeah. Yeah. Great American voice cast. I know Matt Damon did a film and other ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we've already covered Spirit Away and Princess Mononoke, and so we've done a couple of his films. And, and uh, so next week we're going to talk Howl's Moving Castle. And if you want to watch before you listen to the show next week, it is available on HBO Max. Um, so watch along with us and come back next week and listen to the show. But um, until then, the RebelRadioPodcast.com. For all your Rebel Radio needs, follow us along on Facebook and X. And, uh, yes, X. And, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, all those great places you want to listen to the show, you can find us. And uh, and um, thank you as always for listening. And uh, you know, it's always fun doing our birthday picks, and this was a good one. Yeah, man, you get a look in, into you know our you know a, a film that's you know sentimental to us, and you know know that you know Wu is a you know holds a special part you know place in your heart. And second, uh, second time I picked a John Wu film because I think I did the Killer yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah, man, it's I, I think you always you always pick a good pick, man. It's always it's always a good movie. And uh, I enjoyed watching it, man. I'm, I might have to go uh, check out uh, secondhand uh, 
sloppy second sloppy sloppy second sales yeah and get that that trilogy i wanted to do this movie last year but it was not really available and then yeah it came available on itunes and then it it came available through sloppy second sales and so it was easier to get a hold of this year but last year i looked i couldn't find it anywhere i was like well we can't do this we can't watch it yeah it worked out this year so you know but um but yeah man as always uh, thank you guys for listening we appreciate it and uh until next time this has been mark this has been matt remember as always just go there just go there and do it